The first Mishnah of the Perek listed many of the mitzvahs which are performed on Sukkot and for how many days they are performed. So the Mishnah said that Nisuch HaMayim is performed for all seven days of Sukkot, not including Shmini Atzeres, because Shmini Atzeres is not considered part of Sukkot. But for every day of Sukkot, the Nisuch HaMayim was performed, and in short, the mitzvah of Nisuch HaMayim refers to pouring water down the side of the Mizbeach, whilst the morning carbon Talmud was being offered up. Now, every single day when the carbon Talmud was offered, it was accompanied by Nisuch Hayayin, by wine which was poured down the Mizbeach. But on Sukkot, as that was done at exactly the same time, water was also poured down a different hole in the Mizbeach. And really the focus of this Mishnah is to explain Nisuch HaMayim Ketzad, how exactly would the process of Nisuch HaMayim take place. Now the entire process is a Halacha L'Moshim Misinai. It's a tradition which we have going back to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's certainly Midaraisa, but it is not written explicitly in the Torah. So it follows that the arguments which are in this Mishnah about how exactly the process was done are mostly technical arguments as to what tradition that Tana received. It's not necessarily based on how they learnt the Pesukim differently, but rather they heard this Halach al a bit differently. Be as it may, the Mishnah tells us that Tzalochis Shel Zahav, a golden jug, Machzeches Shleishes Lugim, holding three loig, that's a volume, a particular coin who was chosen to do so would fill it up from the Shleach, which was a spring which was very near to the base of Mikdash, a spring of water, so he filled up that jug, they reached the gate known as Shar Hamayim, this is one of the gates of the courtyard of the base of Mikdash, in fact, the reason why it was called Shah Hamayim is because through this gate, they would bring the jug of water. So the gate was known as Shah Hamayim, the gate of the water, because of what was done on Sukkot through this gate. So they would bring the jug through that gate, they would blow a takia, then a teruah, then a takia. On the shaifah, he would go up on the ramp of the Mizbeach, which was situated in the courtyard, and he would turn to his left. Now the Mishnah in Yuma, and at more length the Mishnah in Zvachim, they teach that one would always go up on the right side of the ramp, and when he got to the top of the Mizbeach, he would turn to the right, that's a general rule that one should always turn to the right, and then he would walk around the entire Mizbeach on the top, and end up coming down on the left after having gone all around the Mizbeach. However, this is an exception to the rule, the reason being that if he carries the water around the entire Mizbeach, before he reaches the southwest side of the corner of the Mizbeach, that's where the Nisrachamayim took place, so the water would become smoky. There was a constant fire on the Mizbeach, and if you walk around the entire Mizbeach with the water, then it could become smoky, which would make it invalid for the service of the Nisrachamayim. And because of that, he would turn left immediately, and then when he was finished, he would also go down on the left, so he would not end up surrounding the Mizbeach at all. Be it as it may, there were two bowls made of silver there on the southwestern corner of the Mizbeach. Although Rabbi Yehuda says, the truth is they were made out of regular plaster. It's just that their appearance had become darker because of the wine, and because of that it had a silvery appearance. Now even though we'll learn in a moment that the two bowls were used, one for wine, one for the water on Sukkot, and yet the Mishnah here implies that both of the bowls were silver, had a silver appearance, but if the entire cause of the silvery appearance was because of the wine, so I would have thought that only one of them would have that appearance. But the truth is, sometimes the coin would by mistake 
pull the wine into the wrong bowl. And so wine did end up going on both of the bowls. And therefore they both had this silvery, darker appearance. The bowls had a hole in each, like two thin nostrils. One was wider, and one was thinner. The reason being that the water and the wine were poured down the holes at exactly the same time. Now, water is much more flowing, it's much less thick than wine, so it would flow much faster. So in order to make it that they would both reach the bottom at around the same time, they would pull the wine down a wider hole so that it could travel downwards more easily, and the water down a thinner hole, and that way they would both reach the bottom at around the same time. So that they would both finish at the same time. The eastern bowl towards the direction of the east was the one which they would pour the wine down. So that would be the thinner hole. The bowl which was towards the east direction was the one which they would pour the wine down. Now what happens if if he poured the water into the bowl designated for the wine, he poured the wine into the bowl designated for the water, he has nevertheless fulfilled the obligation, although it's not ideal, it does still work. Now Yehuda argues on two points. Firstly, the mission at the beginning of the Perek said that the mitzvah of Nitzchamayim applies for the seven days of Sukkot. According to Yehuda, it applies on Shemini Atzeres as well. And the second thing he argues about is that the Tanakhama said that the amount of water which was used for Nitzchamayim and the amount of water which the jug could contain was three loig, but Rabbi Yehuda says that baloig They do this chamayim with only a loig of water, not three loig, and they would do this kol for all eight days, so that includes shminyat seres as well. Now the Mishnah ends off by telling us that they would tell the person who is performing the nischamayim, hag lift up your hands very high as you are pouring down the water and the wine. And the reason why they had to do this is because Shepam Achas, because once Nisich Achad al Gabi Raglov, one particular Koyen who was performing the service, he pulled the water onto his feet instead of into the holes. He was a member of the group known as Tzedukim, who were a group who didn't accept all of the Torah, often only things which are written explicitly in the Torah, but things like this, which were just Halacha Sinai, they did not agree with, and therefore he did not perform the service, he messed up the service. And everybody threw their Esregim at him, and so in order to prevent a reoccurrence of this event, they made sure that the Kohen who was performing the service would lift up his hands high so that everybody would be able to see how he is performing the service, so that he will not come to pour it onto his feet. Mishnah Yud, both according to the Mishnah at the beginning of the Perek, which stated that Nitzchamayim is performed for the seven days of Sukkot, and according to Rabbi Yehuda, who holds that it is performed for eight days, including Shemini Atzeres, it is apparent from both opinions that the service is performed on Shabbos as well. And the Mishnah says that Exactly as it was done on a regular weekday, it was done in the same way on a Shabbos. Ella except Shabbos. They would fill up the water before Shabbos began, in order that they would not need to transport the water from the Shaleach spring to the Beit HaMikdosh on Shabbos. That would be transporting from a Rosh Hashanah into a Rosh Hashanah a public domain into a private domain, which is certainly forbidden on Shabbos. And so they would fill it up before Shabbos began. However, there is a big problem, because the halacha is that if water, or if anything really, is contained in a klishores, in a utensil which is designated and used 
in the Beit HaMikdash. So anything, as soon as it has been put into one of those utensils, if it is left overnight, it becomes invalid, and it cannot be used for a further service. So if they would use a klishores to fill up the water from the Shaloyach, if they would use that golden jug, which we learned about in the previous Mishnah, then by the time it got to Shabbos morning, when the service needs to be performed, the water would have become invalidated overnight. That invalidation is known as lina, when it is left overnight. And so the solution to this problem is to use Chavis Shal Zahav a golden barrel which has not yet been sanctified. It does not yet have the status of a klishores, which means that it can't have been used at all in the past for any service in the Beis HaMikdosh. So they would fill that up in a shleach from the shleach spring, and place it in a chamber in the Beis HaMikdosh, and they would cover that barrel, and then, even if it was left overnight, it would not become invalidated because it had not yet been placed into a klishores. Because that barrel is not considered to be a klishores. Now what happens if they did all of that, but then, before managing to perform the service of Nizchamayim, Nishbacha, either the water was spilled, or it was left uncovered. The halach is that if water is left uncovered, it is forbidden to drink it out of concern that a snake may have injected some venom into that water and you won't be able to see. Now, if it's forbidden to drink it, then all the more so it is forbidden to use that as a service on the Mizbeach. And so there's a big problem now. They haven't got any water to use and they can't go and fill out more water from the Shiloyach because then they would need to transport it through Rishosarabim to a public domain which would be forbidden on Shabbos. So says the Mishnah, if they're not able to use water from the spring of the Shiloyach, then they would fill up water from the Kior, which is the large sink from which the Karnim would wash their hands and feet every day. So they would use that water which was already in the Beis HaMikdash, they would get water from there and pour it into the golden jug which was regularly used for the Nisul Chamayim. Because wine and water which were left uncovered are invalid for service on the Mizbeach, just like it is forbidden to drink it, and so they would have to replace the water and they would do that from the Kior. It should be noted by the way that even on a regular Shabbos, when they would fill up the water using a non-sanctified golden barrel, they would still pour that on Shabbos morning, they would pour that into the regular golden jug, and they would perform the actual service of Nisuchamayim with the regular golden jug. It's just that overnight, it was kept in a different barrel. Perek Hamishta Aleph. At the beginning of the previous Perek, the Mishnah went through a number of mitzvahs, which apply on Sukkot, and for how many days they apply. And the last one on the list was Hecholil, the flute. And the Mishnah said that Chamisha Shisha it applies for either five or six days of the Yom Tavu of Sukkot. And the Mishnah explains that Zehu Hecholil Shal Beis This refers to the flute of the Beis Hashi'evah, which was the area in the Ezjas Noshim, the outer courtyard, where they would prepare and organize all of the music and the rejoicing which would be in the Beis HaMikdash over the Nisuchamayim. The Nisuchamayim was a great source of rejoicing, and there would be an incredible amount of dancing and music and joy in the Beis HaMikdash. And the reason why the Mishnah points out the flute specifically, even though there were many more musical instruments, is because the flute was the most was the one which was heard the most. It was possibly the most significant instrument, but there were many, many other instruments as well. Now, why was this music and dancing only for five or six days of it is not override Shabbos or Yom Tov. So if Shabbos fell on the first day of Yom Tov, so that means there would be six days of Sukkot, which were Cholomoyed, and where there could be music. But if Shabbos fell on a different day, 
So that means that two out of seven of the days of Sukkot, one would not have all of this music on the first day, because it's Yom Tov, and on Shabbos as well. Now the truth is, so there is no prohibition of playing music on Shabbos or Yom Tov. The whole prohibition is only with Yabonon, in case the instrument breaks and somebody comes to repair it. So it's a precaution with Yabonon. But if that's the case, then the Mishnah's ruling seems very strange, because there is a rule that ain't Shavus Bamikdash. A rabbinic prohibition of Shabbos does not apply in the Beis Hamikdash. The main reason being that there's no reason to be concerned that somebody might come to violate the thing which the Rabbonah were concerned about. Since you're in the Beis Hamikdash, somebody won't come to repair the instrument if it's forbidden to do so. But if that's the case, then surely there should be music on Shabbos and Yom Tov as well, because the whole prohibition is only mid Rabbonon. So the answer is that the rule of Ein Shavus Bamikdash, that a rabbinic prohibition of Shabbos, does not apply in the Beis Hamikdash, that is only if it relates directly to a particular service done in the Beis Hamikdash. However, over here, the rejoicing and the music and the dancing was not related specifically to the actual service of, an, of the Nisuch HaMayim. It was the expression of joy because of the Nisuch HaMayim, but it was in, in no way related to the actual service, and because of that, rabbinic prohibitions do apply in the Beis HaMikdash as well, if it's not related to the service itself. Now, Omru, people said, once they had witnessed and experienced the Simchas Beis HaSheva, Kol Mishle Simchas Beis HaSheva, Anybody who had not seen the joy experienced at the Beit HaSheva, the joy and the dancing and the incredible simcha which people experienced over Sukkot in the Beit HaMikdash, simcha he has never seen true happiness and joy in his life. That is how incredible this experience was. Mishnah Beit Spimotzi Yom Tov At the end of the first day of Yom Tov of Sukkot, so on the second night of Sukkot, which is the first night of Cholamoyed, Yodul Ezes Noshim, they went down to the Ezes Noshim, which was the courtyard which was just outside of the Beit HaMikdosh itself. It was a very large square courtyard. And the Mishnah says, shom tikun They fixed a great thing in that courtyard, and that is, they built into the sides of the courtyard at the top, balconies, in order that the women would sit and watch from the top on the balconies, and the men and the women wouldn't mix together, but at the same time, the women would be able to watch. And there were golden candelabras there in the Ezas Noshim, and these were only really used over Sukkot for the sake of the Simchas Eva. Now, by the way, the Yerushalmi calculates that these candelabras were absolutely huge, and according to the calculation over there, they were around 40 meters wide, each golden candelabra, which is absolutely massive. So the Mishnah says that on each of the candelabras of our boss, Folim Shal Zahav Brashehen. There were four golden bowls at the top of these candelabras. And there were four ladders for each candelabra. Each ladder led to one of the bowls. And four young Kayanim. They would go up on these ladders, Uvidehem, and in their hands were Kadim Shal Shemel Shemel Vesim Loig jugs or barrels of oil, which altogether were a hundred and twenty loig of oil. Now that's altogether for the entire candelabra, which means that each coin by himself, each of these young koyanim, would be carrying the volume of thirty loig of oil up these ladders, which they would put into each of the bowls, and then light the wicks, which must have been very thick. They would light the wicks, and the candelabras would, bright, would light up. 
Now, 30 log of oil is also a huge amount. One had to be extremely strong to carry this. And again, all of this was in order to increase the incredible amount of joy which was felt at the Simchas Beis HaSheva.